lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me, with me as always, man with pockets on his chest and a song in his heart, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. I actually really do like that. I, 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 pockets on my chest. Put that on my tombstone. What's in my pockets, dog? What's in your pocket? Hey, people need to stop pocket watching. I know that. Big face hundreds, man. Uh, we got a good show for you guys today here. Uh, in no way related to that. Um, at all. We have Nicole Arbach, uh, college football writer over at The Athletic. You can also catch her on television talking about the Big Ten over at the Big Ten Network. She's stopping by to help break down some college football action for us. Uh, what we saw this past weekend. How it's going to affect the college football playoff rankings that come out tonight. And a little look ahead at Rivalry Week that's coming up right now. Uh, Nicole is a well-known and respected University of Michigan alum which we talk about here relative to our uh, Notre Dame lifetime before yes. this. Uh, so she's excited about the game against Ohio State this weekend. We talked about that. Michigan and USC, uh, what's coming up in things like the Iron Bowl that got a little more interesting and zesty with some news that has come out since the time I recorded with Nicole earlier on this podcast. So plenty of great stuff about one of the more fun weeks in the sport that we all love so much in college football. We've also got a little World Cup date uh, after – the U.S.'s first match here, which I got to say, Brandon, just as an aside, before we get to top five, bottom five as well in the NFL. Yes. Watching a sport with comparatively lesser knowledge of it with a group of people all at the same time in the World Cup that are coming to this as, for the most part, relative novices 
in yes. the sport of European football is an absolute joy. Like the burden of having to watch with a discerning eye and trying to understand and decipher strategy and what's going on is just replaced by going up and yelling at the screen when stuff happens with very little knowledge of why it happens. And there is part of that as a departure from what we do normally that is an absolute freaking joy. Oh, absolutely, Mike. It's like uh, watching the NBA before you recognize the magic of people moving without the ball in their hand and how important that was to the whole game. Like for this, for soccer, for me, I, I mean, I, I know you can't be off sides and I can't wait for a corner kick and a penalty kick, but outside of that, I can't tell them what they're doing wrong. No, not, not even for a second, because you're right, Brandon. Like That's the best way to explain it is what you watch when the action is on the screen is so different for people that played a specific sport. Like for you and I watching football, my eyes always gravitate towards the offensive line as an analyst calling games. I have to constantly remind myself to pull back the scope a little bit and check what's going out on downfield because I'm used to watching the area in the game that was germane to what we did. And I'm sure that's the same for a lot of people that played various positions in various sports in this one. I just get to watch the ball. I watch where the ball goes. I yell when people fall down. I get angry when they stay down for too long. I get pissed <laughs> off when people throw up yellow cards for the team that I root for, which in this case is the red, white, and blue. Shout out to Tobin Heath in this jersey that I've had as a holdover from the U.S. women's national team's many great successes. So we'll, uh, and I, I want to do it this way because part of the fun in watching this is I know very little about this team, so I did just enough research to be yes. able to give you, whoever is Ooh. listening, just enough knowledge going into to what we have to prepare for now because the U.S. played Wales to a draw. We'll get to that and what comes up in our group. We got England on Friday. The day after Thanksgiving, this is a big one. And so I want everyone to be able to walk into that match prepared with just a little bit of knowledge so that when you're sitting there at a bar at you know in the middle of the afternoon, tying one on, getting ready to watch this game, you can just throw a couple of things at people that will make you sound a little bit more informed on this thing that we're all coming to not giving that much you know informational overload to. Speaking of that, after they lost to all those Wiles from the DMV area, the U.S. men's national team is now 0-5-5 in the last 10 World Cup matches. So, talk about that at the bar. It's not, yeah, it's not sweet out here right now, but we got time to recover from this. We will get to all of that, Brandon. Um, we also had Monday Night Football in Mexico. My dad uh, was part of the Westwood One radio broadcast down there uh, at Estadio Azteca. Got to take that in in person. My mom, sister, and brother-in-law all went down for that game. What? And it was a bit of a rainy night down there, but crowd seemed juiced, and they got peak performance, which was the 49ers taking the Cardinals out behind the woodshed with Colt McCoy at quarterback. One of our finest American exports. Why were they championing so many 49er fans in Mexico as if Mexi uh, 40, uh, San Francisco or Santa Clara or San Jose, anywhere up there, is anywhere near Southern California? I don't know. I don't think it has to make that much sense. Again, you're trying to read too much into something right now. We just had this whole conversation about not having to do that right now. I was just trying to open up the floor for you to have a chance to brag on Jimmy G since that seems to be something that you want to do so badly. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. I Well, you know, Jimmy G tying his record of four touchdowns in a game uh, south of the border is worth mentioning. I, I didn't know if you had a formal apology written after the slander that you've given the most handsome quarterback in football as you voted him. I mean, he's used to operating south of the border. Ooh. Yes, I like that. I like that. It's showbiz, baby. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm apologizing for. 
I'm apologizing for pointing out the way the 49ers chose to do business. Jimmy G played really well. And I saw uh, Mina Kimes and others point this out. He actually made some off-schedule plays in an offense and in a broadcast where how many times during this broadcast did we see them pull out the telestrator to highlight the yards after catch, to point out that this is an offense predicated on his weapons going out there and making yards after he delivers them the ball. Like, Brandon, I'm just pointing out what everyone else does. How many many times did they pull out a little graphic showing how great he's been on third down, Mike? How he's, it's been a first down every time, and how two of those plays went for touchdowns. How many how many graphics do you need to see? Uh, see Jimmy G uh, in his first uh, five games compared to his last five games compared to this game right now. He is not consistent, but he is. No, I would say he is consistent. I would great. say he is consistent. Is he great? He's not. Is, he's not great. No, he's, he's great. consistent though. Like you said, yeah, he's great. He's consistent in that offense, which he is very used to and is used to operating at a very good level. He goes out there and is consistent, and that's a huge thing. Like it's hard for a lot of quarterbacks to do in this league, and so he deserves a ton of credit for being able to go out and operate. Like we've given Jimmy G his flowers for how he dealt with this offseason and everything leading up to camp. His positive attitude, walking through life, handsome as shit team. yeah yeah like like this uh, we talked a lot of this i think um is very relevant to that conversation we had about zach wilson yesterday which is you can't be bad and abrasive you've either got to be if you're going to do one of those here like it's fun to be good and nice and well liked but if you're really good at something you can go out here and be kind of a dick and people will tolerate it because of your skill level because people want to win because winning helps everyone get paid it all makes life better or <laughs> well, we can, yeah we can get to that um or or you can go out here and be not so good, but a really good hang. And this helps in coaching. This helps in being a player, especially if you're going to be a backup. Being someone that people generally like to be around is free. And if you're not that good at your job, it's incredibly helpful. Jimmy G is not to the point where he's so bad that he's got to do that. But Jimmy G is not at that class of quarterback that must have one of, or, you know, we're so lucky that one of these handful of people that walk the earth at this position is okay. in our lap. And so the way he approaches this is I'm just going to have a good attitude about this I'm extremely handsome I am one of the 32 starters in this league someone is going to continue paying me to play football as a starter for them even if it's not in San Francisco and so why am I going to get bent out of shape about all this life has worked out for Jimmy G thus far and he believes in his heart and rightly that it's going to keep working out for him so he's got a positive attitude about it that's dope Uh, yeah good people float Mike good people float but I, I I don't I'm not here to hear you inadvertently shit on Jimmy G because that's what you're doing. I'm not. Sh- I'm no. That's what you're, you're doing. Do- no. That's what you're doing. You're doing. How many? You're, co- Mike. Mike. You're the doing. You're, you're doing no. what the Tua people do. I connect Tua and Jimmy G for the same reasons that you try to shit on Jimmy G. So I'm glad to at least hear you didn't give Tua the great the great uh, crown. Tua is Tua is having a Tua is having a great season. He's a better quarterback than Jimmy G. That, yeah, of course. That, yeah, that's that's, that's uh, without. Then why yeah, are you trying to get me to connect those two? Just because they play in similar offenses, because Mike McDaniel is a Shanahan coaching tree guy, does not connect them any further beyond that. No, Tua is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Full stop. This season. Yeah, all right, and no, like, I'm saying that's your argument, right? Like this season, he's not overall a better quarterback. 
Yes, he is. He's okay. absolutely a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like right. he, okay. Jimmy Garoppolo came over to the 49ers in the offense that Tua is in now. We talked about yesterday. Tua is finally getting the opportunity with some consistency around him, with some real weapons around him to go and be successful in the NFL level. Quarterback fit matters a lot. Jimmy Garoppolo got plopped into an offense that had a bunch of that good stuff with him there. He got put into a context that matters after getting his quarterback PhD in New England behind Tom Brady. He has had a very good road in the NFL as far as quarterbacks and his onboarding into that system. He is not a better quarterback than Tua Tungavailoa. Like, no. I, I will always be on the other side of that, Mike. I really, I really will. And I don't know what I need to see from Tua to put him above Jimmy G, but I really, I, I, I trust Jimmy G more than I trust Tua. I will say this: uh, the views of Brandon Newman do not. Uh, are not the views of the Gojo podcast. So to and on people, please leave us alone. I didn't say that. I want to go nowhere near that, man. I really like your quarterback. He's having a great season. I'm not trying to get into the muck. The most toxic conversation in sports right now is the one surrounding Tua and Justin Herbert. I'm not trying to deal on that stuff. I think based on where we're at this season, if it weren't for Patrick Mahomes, because Josh Allen has struggled a little bit lately, and because we've seen some of the other quarterbacks involved in this conversation, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens coming off a dud of a game, um, you know, anyone else you're going to go down on the list, Joe Burrow and the Bengals have had a really inconsistent season. Like it's harder to judge and find a worthy challenger right now versus Tua that's gone out and played really good, clean, high end football for the Dolphins. So again, I don't want to devolve into this because again, this whole to- conversation super toxic online and I hate what it's become. Yeah. And so I don't feel like going anywhere near it anymore, especially not for the sake of Jimmy Garoppolo, who has borne out and proven over time. He's a good NFL quarterback. Like, I don't know why that's such a slight. I don't know why everyone's this is like when people go to restaurants and have you have you ever gone to a restaurant with someone who everywhere they go everything they eat has to be the best thing they've ever eaten and everything they try new has to be the best fucking thing they've ever tried and sometimes it's okay to just go and have a burger somewhere and say you know what that was a good burger had a good time with it wasn't the best thing I ever ate wasn't the worst thing I ever ate didn't need to be because it got the job done here in the meantime I don't know why we're so afraid of those things and why everything's got to be draped in hyperbole right now so we can post about it and feel good about it I don't I don't I fundamentally don't understand this it's because the the variables around that burger Mike could have made it great. It could be great. Somebody might have the exact same burger in that exact same group of friends as you, and they say, nah, Mike, you tripping. This burger right here, this shit fire. And that's what I'm saying about Jimmy G. No, I don't I hear what you're saying, Mike. Actually, no, they got Christian McCaffrey. I mean, they wouldn't have. I. They're still a Super Bowl contending team, Mike. They are. That doesn't change how I feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. We've already spent we've already spent way too much time talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, and so we are going to put a pin in that segue into what we do every week around here on Tuesday and do top five, bottom five because I'm not going to sit here and liken Jimmy G to a burger any more than I already have for you. Okay, let's move on. Let's do it. All right, you, anyone that's ever uh, new here, top five and bottom five things from the NFL weekend that was can be anything involved in here. Uh, can be a player, can be a play, can be a team, all the above. Uh, Brandon has the top five this week. I have the bottom five this week. We alternate in order going from five to one on there so that we finish with the good stuff and leave everyone with a good taste in their mouth. Uh, Brandon, 
I'll start on the bottom uh, since I've got that right now uh, for the bottom five this week. Number five for me, Ronnie Stanley injuring his ankle in the Ravens game against the Carolina Panthers. Got rolled up on Lamar Jackson after the game was basically saying it felt like it was his fault because he was the one that got hit into Ronnie's ankle. It was Mm. the same ankle that he broke in 2020 and that he's had to grind really hard for the last two years to come back from. It was you know a few games into the season before he saw that time there. Uh, Patrick McCarry's been filling in for him and is a fine player has done well as a backup in multiple spots this year but that's a huge blow for a Baltimore team that's watching the Bengals start to get better in the AFC North even though they're dinged up with uh, Jamar Chase being out right now big blow there wish Ronnie the best personally because we know him and we love him but also very important for the Ravens and their offensive success yeah tough blow Uh, the toughest of blows considering all the injuries that the Ravens had and especially on offensive line but Definitely bottom five. Bottom five, top five for me, Mike. We haven't really talked about it yet today, so I would love to spend some time really hammering it out. But Jimmy G, <laughs> we're 20 <laughs> for 29, 228 yards, four touchdown, Mike, tying his career record, as I mentioned before. Uh, two of those, one of them to uh, Brandon Ayuku. Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk. And then George Kittle, who uh, obviously who I, I had – Jimmy G and the 49ers in bottom five last week because Kittle only had one reception and he hadn't really been targeting Kittle since he got Christian McCaffrey. talking about handsome Jimmy G and uh, he got that right at Mike. Four touchdowns tonight. Yeah, this looked a lot more like what I think it's going to look like going forward, right? Getting Debo more out at receiver. Brandon Ayuk is having his best season as a pro, has developed really well inside that offense. Remember, he was a guy last year, I think spent a little time in Shanahan's doghouse coming out of Arizona State. So good to see that for him. Just another yak monster inside an offense that certainly is already chock full of them. So yeah, hell of a win for them. Good to see Kittle back out there. Guy's an absolute menace. Seemed to really enjoy his time uh, down there in Mexico. Uh, Brandon, uh, number four in the bottom four for me, Justin Fields and his usage in the Bears offense because we're coming off a day where Justin Fields is currently day-to-day with an injured shoulder uh, as reported by Adam Schefter at ESPN. Uh, Matt Eberflus called him day-to-day as well. Didn't disclose their plan for him or anything like that, but um, it was, I believe, in the... With a couple minutes left to play, he was tackled on his left shoulder um, and still ended up going back out there and finishing out the game. You could see he was clearly uncomfortable in that one. He had 14 first-half rushing attempts, which is the most by a quarterback since at least the year 2000, and had a team-high 18 carries for the game. It had swung, The pendulum swung too far for the Bears. Yeah. I mm-hmm. talked about this with Mina on her podcast the other day. I worried that some of what the Bears offense was turning into was going to instill bad habits in Justin for the future. I didn't broach the subject of it might also hurt a little bit too much to be put in harm's way as often as he has being the focal point of this team's offense as a rusher. So that part's tough. That part sucks. Hopefully he's going to be all right and the Bears take better care of him. Yeah, um, he was a, a very bright spot for a, a bad Bears team, but a couple articles said his play is catching up with him, and you know it's it's unfortunate to see. Hopefully, hopefully we don't see a, a, any bad Justin Fields versus just not seeing them out there. If you follow me there, okay. Number four in my top NFL got to be Marcus Jones, the rookie DB for the Patriots that had that huge. 84-yard punt return for a touchdown with five seconds remaining in that terrible game 
Oh. Where the Patriots beat the Jets 10-3. to He returned a punt for a touchdown. He won the game. And in the post-game press conference, he said, big divisional win. Now I'm on the next week. I'm one of those people. So in a game where Zach Wilson said the wrong things in the press conference, the guy who actually won the game, Marcus Jones, with a punt return, said the right thing in the press conference. Wanting to stick around in New England, especially as someone who's balling on special teams, good idea to stick to the script. That man has learned the playbook inside that building. Job well done, and again, thank him for his service of delivering us from overtime between those two teams. Um, number three in the bottom five, Brandon, the Vikings point differential. We mentioned it yesterday. The Vikings uh, are now eight and two with a negative point differential on the season. The nineteen ninety two Broncos were seven and three with a negative point differential. They finished eight and eight and missed the playoffs. The twenty fourteen Forty Niners, the twenty eighteen Commanders. 2019 Raiders and the 2021 Chargers all started six and four with a negative point differential and then missed the postseason. Those stats, courtesy of ESPN Stats and Info. It's not to say that I think the Vikings are going to miss the postseason. I think they're going to win the NFC North. I think they're going to do so pretty comfortably. But it's a reminder that regression tends to happen when you live the ways that we've talked about the Vikings living through their early season winning. Yeah, in in one full episode of this podcast and them losing to the Cowboys the way they did, I'm off the Vikings completely. There you go. Sell, sell, sell. Um, But their brother in the NFC North is number three on my top five list, Mike. The Detroit Lions three-game winning streak uh, after beating the Giants 31-18 to this weekend. Through their win streak, Mike, the Lions have recorded seven takeaways. And then I was – the defense isn't really stopping anyone. They're still struggling stopping teams on offense, but they still have a top 10 scoring offense in Detroit led by Jamal Williams, who we talked about. They had gave that emotional speech during hard knock, that, that very strong dread he has. Uh, three touchdowns uh, against the Giants, and he now has five touchdowns in the last two games and is leading the NFL in touchdowns. Mike, when the hell did that happen? I, I completely unbeknownst to me, man. It's been a great stretch for that team. It's going to be awesome. They're one of the teams that's playing on Thanksgiving. So, and Jamal Williams, man, fun to see. Like he was a star there. He's been the guy that's the artist of the pelvic thrust in the end zone. Yes. He's an easy guy to watch have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two on my list, Brandon. This one we didn't get a chance to talk about yesterday. The end of the Broncos game was wild to behold in a number of ways here the Vegas Raiders getting their win in overtime all those things came in part because in the final possession and regulation for the Denver Broncos you had a third down where they were trying to grind clock out where Russell Wilson third down third and distance they went and dropped back to pass which I understand in that situation especially with a veteran quarterback if you've got an easy open makeable throw you take it get the first down and you're able to get out of this thing and if not you're always told just take the sack take off and run make sure you keep the clock moving Russell Wilson inexplicably threw the ball away on third down and then when you had the Raiders driving the other way the Raiders defense was having some uh the excuse me the Broncos defense is having some issues and Daniel Hackett burns a timeout there to give them time to stop it and collect themselves. Both inexplicably bad mistakes, but Brandon, Nathaniel Hackett is a first-time head coach. Now, bad timing award because this week he had turned over the play-calling duties, 
made such a big song and dance about doing that. And so uh. in theory, had more time to think about this stuff. But Russell Wilson blanking on that situation, given how much high-level, high-stress, high-pressure football he's played, was wild to watch for me and a real indictment of what's been so much of a struggle early in this Broncos season. I don't want to take your expert analysis that was amazing and, and reduce it to a, a TikTok I saw, but uh, do it. This person is chronicling the amount of touchdowns that Russell Wilson has in the season compared to the amount of bathrooms that he and Sierra have in their home. And uh, they have 12 bathrooms. And after no touchdowns against the Las Vegas Raiders, Russell Wilson is still sitting at seven, seven touchdowns uh, through 11 weeks. So hopefully he gets as much as many touchdowns as he has bathrooms in his home. I like to think that because with those many bathrooms, you've got to have bathrooms for certain <laughs> situations, right? Like you got to have okay. one bathroom that's like when you really got to go poop. Like when you don't want to have to make eye contact with someone after because it's going to yeah. be a horror show, horror movie in there. Mm-hmm. You got to have you got to have one for like a longer shower. Maybe he's got a better shower head in there. The water pressure's a little better in that room for some reason. Got to have yeah. one where you're getting ready to go out. It's got a better mirror in there. So I just be curious what the breakdown of bathroom usage is in the house. Oh, proximity to other things. You got to think about that that shower bathroom yeah. or, or the uh, the pool bathroom. Is it inside outside? Is it mud mud, mud room situation? Is it separated from the home? There's all that type of stuff. Okay. Yeah, a lot of ba- a lot of bathroom drama in the house there, but a lot of chances for them to work on that. All right, I need you to give me some time and really just take a seat and lay back as I lay out my number two, Patrick Mahomes. That's it. Uh, yeah, flawless. Yeah. No favorite, notes. <laughs> the favorite to win the most valuable player, uh, minus one fifty on, on our uh, DraftKings sportsbook. He's the MVP. Patrick Mahomes. He's still Mahomes. He's- He's great. He's great. Like, and when you think already what we've got in his young career, MVP, Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, but then to make the adjustment they made last year for this Chiefs to turn over their offensive line the way that they did, make all these adjustments with Tariq Hill leaving, even in the secondary, like Tyron Matthew being one of the leaders on their team, yes. them letting him walk and bringing Justin Reed over this offseason, making a lot of changes there. Like They've done big stuff there, and they've adjusted how they've played offensively in, in uh, after how teams started playing them defensively last year, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for that, and I think that's why Patrick should be the leader for the MVP at this point because all that change is only possible with him and I hope that this is a reminder to people that not all quarterback second contracts end up being the albatross around your organization that they're Mm. built to be sometimes it's an investment in a clearly great thing that you know and it's important to know hey this thing is clearly great when you do that and your ability to then move and build with that person in mind and the Chiefs have executed to that identity albeit with the best quarterback in football so it's a lot easier than the lot in life most people have but it's been really impressive to watch organization wide and that's a team that is certainly going to be mvp favorite super bowl favorite all those fun things here in the interim uh brandon i will go on a similar long-winded diatribe here for my number one on the bottom five this week zach wilson (laughs) unfortunately there's more news so you might have to say a little bit more but yes zach wilson and the quarterback that was for the jets yeah, uh, Brandon mentions the update news, and that's worth noting. Uh, Rich Samini, the ESPN Jets reporter, 
said that Rob Sala is wavering slightly on his commitment to Zach Wilson. Uh, He said, quote, when asked about uh, Zach Wilson being the starter for the remainder of the season, uh, on Monday he said, we're keeping everything on the table over the next couple of days ahead. When asked if he'll prepare to name Wilson this week's starter, he said, not right now, not until I'm done evaluating everything. This is three weeks after he said Wilson would be the starter for the remainder of the season, barring injury. So it's, uh, it's scary hours around there right now, and it's not just one press conference, although I'm sure that resonating through the locker room the way it clearly appears to happen have based on the reports we saw isn't helping the situation again you can't be bad and abrasive to deal with you only get to choose one of those and actually survive for a while but for this team they're six and four like they've got stuff to play for and I'm sure Rob Sala has a locker room full of veterans and full of important players especially on his defense that he has to be able to go in and look at and say guys I'm going to do the best thing for this football team as we've got the ability to go out and do something I'm always a champion for finding out information about your quarterback but at some point for Rob Sala who I'm sure is thinking about his own job security after how poorly last season went and saying man I got to be able to walk in every day and look those guys in the eye and tell them and have them believe based on my actions I'm doing what it takes for us to win football games that our defense believes they give us a chance to win and they've proven that they've done that because they have won some of those games up until this point I mean you're talking about weeks uh, since something was it six weeks since Zach Wilson set out for four weeks because he rolled his ankle in the preseason? Like, I think I think his time is limited already because of his, how long they gave him to get out there and in a, in a division where Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky quarterbacks are chopping at the bit to back up the starter. Those defensive players are looking at Mike White's long, linky ass and like, mm, I, I feel like he may he may not make as many game-changing mistakes. Maybe he might get a little a little bit more completions. I'll say this. I think, it, honestly, if I were to assess the situation right now, I think Zach Wilson's got to go in and do whatever he has to to make it right with the locker room after those comments. Even if people on the outside may not think it's the biggest deal, you got to go in there and set that straight. However that takes place, that's between him and the locker room. And then after that, I still think this is a guy that has a couple more weeks of you looking at this. It hasn't been good. He hasn't played well. The rest of that offense is still also not holding up in end of the bargain in a lot of the ways, and that includes play calling. And we heard Garrett Wilson upset about the usage for receivers that might be a reflection of the quarterback that might be a reflection of the play caller or what he thinks the limitation of his quarterback are is either way when you spend that kind of draft pick on him it's really got to become abundantly clear and I get that's threading a tight needle but I think even with how bad he's played there's probably still a week maybe maybe two more before I think you fully get yanked off stage on this so that's the latest with Zach Wilson plenty to think about there for the New York Jets. Brandon, what is your number one on the top five this week? Mike, it's Thanksgiving football time. Number one is technically next week's update, but it is Thursday Thanksgiving holiday football. We have a third game, Mike, and it's John Madden Thanksgiving celebration. Uh, Obviously, the one year after losing John Madden, so it's that much more special. Mike, here's the slate, if you didn't know. CBS is starting us off at 12.30 p.m. Eastern with the Buffalo Bills go against the Detroit Lions, staying in Motor City for one more week to try to restart their season. No, the Bills are fine, whatever. The Cowboys are hosting the Giants 
at 4.30 Eastern on Fox, game of the day. And then, ending out Turkey Day, is the New England Patriots against the Minnesota Vikings at 8.20 on NBC. What a weird matchup, Mike. But outside of that, that's the slate. I'm going to give you a little Thanksgiving history for the NFL. First Thanksgiving game in NFL history, 1925, in front of a crowd of 360,000. <laughs> in front of a crowd of 36,000. Then the largest professional football game ever played in history is the Chicago Bears against the Chicago Cardinals. A scoreless tie in Wrigley Field. That was the first <laughs> Thanksgiving game. And then in 1934, the Detroit Lions uh, played the defending world champion Bears on Thanksgiving in the first nationally televised game. Mike, this is the 83rd Thanksgiving game for the Detroit Lions, and it is the 55th for the Dallas Cowboys. There we go. One of the origin stories for Thursday games played in the NFL as well. And one of the things my dad often pointed to when Thursday night football complaints pop up is a lot of us have been doing that every year for once a year and managed to yes. get by here, get off my lawn, uh, all worked out very well. But it is one of the best days of football watching all year long. Can't wait to take that wild nap after the early game and load up for the evening because it's a long day and take care of yourselves. It is very, very important stuff. That is Top 5, Bottom 5. We will get you even more prepared for Thanksgiving as the week goes along. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Nicole Arbach from The Athletic about the college football slate from last weekend and what's coming up in Rivalry Week this weekend. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub, because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings, and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. All right, been a little while. Excited to kick off uh, Rivalry Week in college football with our dear friend and the Athletics' very own Nicole Arbach. You can also check her out all over the Big Ten Network. That was where you'll be manning uh, this big-time Rivalry Weekend coming off Thanksgiving. So, Nicole, how are you doing? I am doing great. I think in honor of Rivalry Week, we should be like frenemies for the week, though. Can we? Can we do that? I think we can broker a piece, right? Michigan and Notre Dame, we can set it all aside for this week because I, I was well, they're curious. Not, they're not yeah. playing each other. They're not playing yeah. each other, but that's why I'm like, can we be friends slash enemy? Like, just play it up a little bit, even though our teams aren't playing each other. Can we still just like a little juice? Oh, yeah. Listen, you don't got you don't got to fight me on that. Like you were a part of a very big moment in my life, Nicole, because I had never been to Michigan's campus before this fall as a normal visitor. Like I'd been there when we were playing there. I had had those game day and you were kind of the shepherd Michigan, Michigan State weekend that showed me around that campus and showed me some of the sides of Michigan that I was not ready to embrace before that. So I feel like that was a powerful moment for our rivalry. Yeah, and and for anyone who's listening who has been to Michigan, has been to Charlie's, he did get a fishbowl, and it was bright yes. blue, and that was one of the great achievements. You forget how much sugar is in everything that you drink in college until you become an adult and get a sugar headache and hangover immediately when you have anything. So very proud of you for that moment in particular. Yeah, the next day's heartburn was overwhelmingly worth it. I did get to pie a kid in the face on campus that you were also there to witness. So it was a very full and rich day. 
I have video evidence, which in case anyone goes to the police or files assault charges, I probably shouldn't post. But yes, uh, we did pie a stranger for, well, you gave him a lot of money for charity, but you like, it was like a full body effort to uh, put a lot of weight behind the pie. It looked pretty violent. I have footage. If anyone, if the Ann Arbor police are listening, I do have footage and I'm happy to share it. Yeah, I can say Nicole's got the evidence you're looking for. That was the moment, Nicole, where I realized the rivalry still very much lived within me because when given the opportunity to go out against someone wearing Wolverine colors, I took that and you're right. It just channeled all of it in my body. I was it was third and long and I came through with the clutch for the team. I was I was proud of you in that moment, even though it was at the expense of an unsuspecting Michigan student. Uh, you know what? So you know what? Fren- Frenemies is a good space to be in this week. <laughs> I like. I am always curious too because this. So this week, Notre Dame plays USC. Michigan, your alma mater, plays Ohio State. It's the game. It, it's the biggest game of the year for you guys. And I think that's the interesting part about Notre Dame, Michigan. As I always said. Because of proximity, I always disliked Michigan a lot more when I was playing, but the game with USC was the one that I look forward to the most, and I don't have to ask twice about that in Ann Arbor. We know this week, especially after last year, like carries a very different weight even now in the modern version of this rivalry, right? It does. Notre Dame's a good example of this, where like I think the way that you just described it makes a ton of sense. Whereas some of the other teams that consider Michigan a rival, like Michigan State, that's their Super Bowl. So yes. it's very, it's a totally different rivalry. And you, this is the weekend that you were there, right? You were calling that game. There is a lot more hatred, I think, in that rivalry because it's the people you live with, the people you see at work. It's the 365 days a year. Like you feel the winner of that game where Michigan, Ohio State, and I assume this is the same for Notre Dame and USC. It's such a national rivalry, like it's so much bigger that there's a level of respect, I think, that that supersedes hatred. Like to me, all of the former players who played in Michigan, Ohio State are all friends with each other or all respect each other because they all know exactly what it takes to win that game. And there's so much pride in that. It usually has massive national implications, which hasn't for for a lot of the last couple of decades. So that's why last year and this year and all this stuff is a big deal. But like, it just doesn't feel as much hatred. Like, I don't think you 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 blindly hate those players for the rest of your life because of that game in the same way where like if you're really down in the in 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 the weeds and in the mud with someone like in a Michigan, Michigan State game. I can see you actually hating those people for the rest of your life. Like it just feels different, but it's, I think it's the fact that it's more national. The fact that there's usually bigger implications than just in-state bragging rights. I I feel like that is part of it, but I I don't really know. There's no other way to like really describe the difference, but there is a difference. No. And I think that's the exact way I've always felt about Notre Dame and SC versus Notre Dame, Michigan, because you're right. And it has been a lot of those national implications. And I think that's also the clearest explanation for what we saw this past weekend too, right? Where Michigan and Ohio state, both in their own versions of a barn, burner michigan's much more low scoring against illinois versus ohio state and maryland going back and forth that one getting into the 30s like in in both of those and starting nicole with michigan it seemed like a look ahead game for both of them but looking at the wolverines blake corum goes down in that game you already were without donovan edwards in that backfield 
am I right to be a little bit more concerned than I was about the Michigan passing attack and what role it can possibly play in this game with Ohio State? 100%. I'm more concerned. Like a few weeks ago, basically every week, then the little temperature check of, okay, they're still on a collision course. Who do we feel is the better team? How do we feel like what have the edge of these two teams played? I feel like the concerns for Michigan are bigger than they ever have been right now because of the injury to Blake Quorum. I'm sure he's going to play like he's not going to miss this. He was giving out turkeys with NIL money, which is just like the most 2022 (laughs) sentence ever. And just like, again, speaks to how amazing NIL opportunities and how amazing these players are that they're using it for stuff like that. But so he said he was fine. I'm sure he's going to play. Is he going to be close to 100? We don't know. Donovan Edwards, great point. He's also been important in the passing game. He's been one of their best pass catchers out of the backfield. Um, and it's been it's been weird, too, because Michigan, Michigan has great tight ends. And they use tight ends. And they use them in a very interesting way. But the receivers, like they have Rodney Bell... But they, the other receivers haven't really emerged in the same way. They, they don't get a ton of separation. They've had some drops. And then J.J. hasn't been great on the deep ball. Like So all of that combined is absolutely concerning. And it kind of matches up really well for Ohio State because we saw the back end of their defense get torched by Maryland. But like that's not Michigan's strength. Like they're not Part of the thing we've been waiting for them to do is stretch the field vertically because they haven't really done that. And now if you take away the bread and butter of the ground game and Blake Corum, who's just this workhorse and, and has a, a ton of carries each week, what does that mean? How can you win? How do you beat them? The red zone issues were back last week, all the field goals. I mean, like the problems that we've talked about, which are nitpicks because 95% of the team, well, maybe more than that. Maybe there's probably like five or six teams in the country that can beat Michigan because of these problems. Everyone else, they're going to be. It's going to be fine. But now we're talking about those select few teams. We're talking about Ohio State. We're talking about how to win in the playoff. And that's where it could bite you. So so I'm definitely concerned based on what we saw. The red zone issues were there. The lack of a vertical passing game. And then you know health concerns about the running back position. That's how Michigan's been most comfortable winning the games. Just running the ball down the opponent's throats and kicking field goals. They still have the best field goal kicker in the country, but like they have to get in position. I, I worry about that. I worry about trying to keep up against an Ohio State offense that can really turn it on quickly. Yeah, uh, and it's it's weird that it's made this turn because you're right. Even going back to that Michigan State game that I was calling, I thought this is a great chance for Michigan to get some reps in yes. that in a way that they didn't. And so that stoked the fears similarly to a way that I think for a lot of people when Ohio State played Northwestern on the road, super windy day in Evanston, all the effects that we know were there with the weather, but that team physically unable to go out there and really move Northwestern around all that much, I think for a lot of people flipped that the other way. So for Ohio State on that side, Nicole, as you look at that, we know the passing attack is dynamic. We know their running back room has also dealt with some injury for this last month or so of the season. But for the defense specifically with that Ohio State team, what we've seen consistently, how much better would you say they are from this time last year till now on that side of the ball? Well, they definitely seem better defensively. And and I know I'm saying that after I was just talking about how much uh, Talia Tagovailoa like really exposed in the back end of that defense. But there's only been a couple of games where we've been able to see if this defense is tested, if they're tougher, right? Like coming out of the Notre Dame game, that was something that we felt like we learned, right? Like, and again, Notre Dame at that point wasn't playing as well as they're playing now. That's a win that like has only gotten better the the longer it's been each week to week. 
But there was a toughness. And I remember Ryan Day saying like they just they didn't want to be a team that was only like known for talent. They wanted to be known that they could be tough. And there was something in the second half of that game because of the the line of scrimmage and because the way they were able to run the ball when they needed to run the ball. And then that's kind of been a problem in, in some of these other games. But there was a toughness in the in the de- defense. The, the, again, like overall, much better because last year you had games where it looked like defenders were like a step slow. They looked slow. Yeah. They looked out of place. That has not happened. They've gotten beat for sure in some games. They've given up some explosive plays. But like on a whole, you just feel a lot better about where they are defensively. But this is the big test. This is a, an offensive line in Michigan that won the Joe Moore Award last year and totally controlled the game, pushed around Ohio State's defensive front last year. And that's something we don't see. Usually there's a Bosa. Usually there's a Chase Young. There's somebody, right? And that was really glaring in that game and also just spoke to, like, that's the way you want to win this rivalry game is in the trenches. And that's how Michigan won it last year. So we don't know exactly how much they've improved until we see it in this game. But I think in general about the way that the defense is being run, the the fundamentals, all of those things seem to be a lot better. I'm definitely concerned about the running backs and the health there, although Dallin Dall Hayden has been really, really good over the last couple of weeks. Um, and he was really good at between the tackles, which, again, I, that's one of my concerns about Ohio State is like, can they run the ball with a running back when the opponent knows you're going to run the ball and you know yep. you need to run the ball? They've not been very good at that this year. And he might be the answer there. So it's just, it's fascinating because it's like all of the questions we had for both of these teams, they didn't really answer against anybody else. And now like, this is the time where they really need to answer it. And we don't have a ton to go off of, of like, yeah, for sure they're better at this or for sure they've addressed this question mark because they haven't. So it's really just like this measuring stick game when we find out the answers. Yeah, I, I think, and the point we've talked about with Michigan's out of conference that gets brought up in these conversations versus Ohio yep. State, that, like you said, outside of Notre Dame, they both had the common opponent in Penn State that they got to face. Michigan certainly fared better in then that matchup, but for Ohio State, that was the JT Tuimola game where he just went crazy and had you know that wild coming out party for his Ohio State career that maybe could be a sign of what's to come. You mentioned some of those stars that you've usually had as pass rushers in those last games, but... Nicole, with all of that in mind, I want to look at how those two teams in that game were maybe affected by this weekend because we know this past weekend, we mentioned they were look-ahead games. TCU narrowly escaped in their game against Baylor, who bounced back big time after getting thumped by uh, by uh, Kansas State at home. And then we had Tennessee that finally was the one that gave it up, the South Carolina squad that beat them as thoroughly as any team has beaten another this season. Now with Tennessee and that, and obviously, you know, it sucks for Hendon Hooker, the injury there. We all certainly feel for that guy that was having a Heisman-type season. With that Tennessee loss, though, and that five spot being knocked out, who do you think benefit benefited the most from that? Is it LSU or USC? Is it the loser of Ohio State, Michigan? Who do you think walks away from that one feeling the best about their station? So I think it's probably the Big Ten and the odds of getting a second team in, or it's Clemson. I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt USC, but I'll just tell, I'll just say this. Like I thought USC winning in no matter what, like uh, to me, they were already ranked number seven last week and they had then three top 25 games coming. So you beat UCLA, 
Notre Dame, again, this is a team that's only gotten better throughout the season. They're top yeah. 20 team by the CFP rankings. So, like, if, if if USC beats Notre Dame and beats whoever they play in the Pac-12 championship game, maybe Oregon, whoever it ends up being, like, those are great wins, and that should be enough. Like, I think you're in. I don't yeah. think that that mattered what else was happening. I think for LSU, path is super clear. Win out, and you're in. You're going to have a win over Georgia, SEC champ, boom. That if that doesn't if if LSU does win that I think maybe takes away a spot from some other teams because Georgia probably stays, but to me like Tennessee was this backstop for the selection committee where they're like okay well if something happens and we know you know Michigan and Ohio State are going to play each other whatever here is our immediate like we got, we got a team right there so with them not there I think now Clemson who's just kind of lurking around they've got one <laughs> loss they're still there. You know, again, I mean, South Carolina just took down Tennessee. Maybe they take down Clemson too, but they're still around. They're going to be if they were if they went out one loss ACC champ. We've seen worse teams make this thing. Like they'll they'll be in the mix. So I think they get they feel a little bit better about having a path where maybe like Tennessee was like an arbitrary ceiling for them where they couldn't they weren't going to be able to break break through or go past Tennessee. Now that opens up a little bit, and I think the loser of Michigan Ohio State opens up a little bit. But I'll tell you this: we talked about the non conference schedule for Michigan. I think I don't I don't know that Michigan can get in as an at-large team if they lose mm. to Ohio State. I think Ohio State can get in as an at-large team if they lose to Michigan because they play Notre Dame because they beat Notre Dame. Michigan, if Michigan were to get there, the committee would just be saying like no, we we just believe that they're better than these other teams that are conference champs. But they would be rewarding a really bad non-conference schedule. And we have seen this with basketball. The selection committee has been so clear. They have sent very clear and strong messages to basketball coaches and ADs around the country and said, if you schedule this way, we're not going to pick you. Like if you're a borderline, we're not going to pick you. You're borderline, like top seed, we're gonna, you're going to be a lower seed than you think you should be. Because you can control that part of your schedule and you're not challenging yourself. That's where Michigan would have a problem. And the committee has already pointed out committee likes both those teams, but you got to take care of your business. So again, I think Ohio state has better chances the at large to get a second big 10 team in TCU probably still needs to go undefeated. Maybe they benefit from the Tennessee loss because maybe they get a little bit of wiggle room. I don't think they have it. So to me, it's a couple of different teams and it's the teams that are lurking or the teams that maybe wouldn't have had a chance like a second big 10 team that now have that because that number five, that team that was right on the cusp that the committee liked and you could say had, had a really good loss because it's the best team in the country. You know, they're not there anymore. So that barrier isn't there and other teams can break through, which again, I know everyone is tired of Alabama and Clemson. Clemson is not dead yet. We have to acknowledge this. I know it's, it was amazing. And I remember sitting there when the committee's rankings came out last week and seeing everyone talking about that. And at that point, my refrain was, well, if Clemson's not technically dead, then neither was North Carolina at that juncture, because both of those teams had romped through a largely lackluster ACC this season. And both of them had been thumped by Notre Dame. And so outside of that, yeah, Clemson might have a few things as far as strength of schedule that were a little bit better. North Carolina, promptly exited themselves from that conversation, but can still play spoiler in the ACC championship. Like, I don't think that's a wash because those teams, I think, are just the offensive and defensive version of one another where Clemson's offense has struggled a bunch this season and North Carolina's defense just has no earthly interest in stopping people. So it's going to be fascinating to watch how that plays out. 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness, getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with the championship, much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year and is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Yes, completely agree. It also, so not only did North Carolina's loss knock themselves out, it also weakened them as a win for Clemson. So like, mm-hmm. that's an interesting dynamic too. Although South Carolina also strengthened their self. So it's like, maybe that's a wash. Um, it, it's funny you said that because I wrote about, I do a top 10 overnight on Saturday nights at the athletic. And I wrote about Notre Dame being like everybody's quality loss. Um, and, and they were for, for North Carolina as well. But like they're Clemson's like very quality loss. Like it's not a bad loss. It was a bad, it was bad the way that it went down. Like they didn't look like they belonged on the same field, but Notre Dame keeps winning. They keep moving up in the rankings. They're a quality loss for Clemson. They're a quality win for Ohio state. Now they could be one of the other for USC this weekend. Like they're factoring into the playoff race far more than I think anyone anticipated, especially, you know, coming out of the Marshall game or the Stanford game. Um, but yeah, like it, it's so interesting how all of this stuff is interconnected and then you're going to have the head to heads against the same opponent. So like that could end up playing into it here for Ohio state and for USC or Notre Dame can continue to play spoiler and knocking out or close to knocking out some of these playoff teams. And that part's interesting, the good loss portion of things, because we've seen so much of it over the recent years. But there was always kind of a rule that your loss couldn't be by all that much. And I think what you talked about, the fact that we have sort of graduated, like Georgia has quietly now taken the mantle from Alabama for this current last few years stretch of college football. And so now that we've gone past that, now that Clemson's not necessarily a guarantee, we're kind of more willing to, you know, like fudge the lines a little bit on some of this stuff because LSU got baptized at home by Tennessee in a way that usually was a non-starter. They've got two losses in a way that was a non-starter. Clemson got thumped in that game in a way where normally the committee would just be able to wash their hands of you. But now they're not in that said same position anymore. And I think it's really interesting the point that we got to now, especially knowing that expansion's coming, where we already saw this college football playoff year felt more accessible to more teams than it had in quite some time. Here's another first or kind of thing that got worked, uh, broken down, wall that got broken down. We also hadn't seen a team lose the last game of the season and make the playoff. And then we've seen that with Notre Dame. You've seen that with Georgia last year. Like we've seen teams 
have so much of a cushion that they could suffer a loss, which then created an avenue for another team to get in in those conference championship games. So really, the two-loss thing is, is kind of the next one to happen. And if LSU wins out, they will for sure be in the college football playoff. That is exactly the type of resume, I think, that a two-loss team would need to get in while this thing is still only at four teams. It's going to change. And teams that really go out and schedule themselves a challenging non-con, like there, there will be a different amount of losses that will get you into this thing. But I think you're totally right because A, you don't have the dueling dynasties in the same way that we did just penciling them in for a number of years. You also have Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma, now go to USC, turn things around really quickly. That creates a different dynamic and open up an avenue for TCU. And then also for the Pac-12 to break through. And then the top half of the Pac-12 in general, stronger, deeper than it's been. They got these transfer quarterbacks that are like really impacting these programs. Like there's so many different factors. And I will just say for all the people being like, oh my God, the transfer portal NIL will be, you know, college football will never be the same. The transfer portal is part of the reason that we do have some of this parity and some of the teams that we're talking about with first year head coaches because these players followed them and that then they then LSU got better as the season went on. Yeah. USC, you know, is where they are. Caleb Williams in the Heisman hunt. Like all of that stuff has happened while you also had Clemson and Alabama take a little bit of a step back. So it, it's it's much more interesting this way. But yet we're still at the end. And this is where, like, as someone who is you know, pro expansion, I'll just point this out. Like we're at this point now where we're only there's seven teams left with yeah. a realistic chance. There will be so many more the second, the last week of the regular season in a 12 team playoff, because every team still alive for a conference championship game would be alive. And there would be so many more at large teams that would still have a chance. So like, I, I do think it's been a fun rewarding, engaging season. We didn't talk about the playoff implications all season long. It really just picked up in the last three weeks or so, it will be so much better, even in a 12 team, even though we won't be living and breathing and dying the same way that we did with that TCU fire drill field goal (laughs) at the end. There will be situations that are similar. There will be a lot of games with stakes. So I just need to get on my talking point because Ari Wasserman pissed me off the other day because he is anti-expansion and he just keeps harping on the fact that these games won't have stakes late in the season in an expanded playoff. They will. It will just be different, and they will be different games. But like Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Notre Dame, like these games are still going to matter. It's not like for the people playing in those games, knowing that you might still make the playoff even if you lose. It's not going to take anything away from those games themselves. I don't think. No, I, I, I was I was with you on that reaction as well because it robs each game of the agency that's already there. Like, yes, we've got built-in stakes for playoffs that make a lot of these games fun. But then we get to the actual body of so many of these games, and there has been a ton of games this year that have been great solely because of what's gone on on the field. Again, we're getting ready to go into a weekend right now where we have got all these great games, right, where you've got the Egg Bowl that's always an absolute like wild tire fire every year. Ole Miss is dipping. We never know what the hell to make of Mississippi State. Florida and Florida State could be fascinating with the rise that we've seen from Florida State. The Iron Bowl, we've got Cadillac Williams coaching against this beatable and Alabama team as we've seen in quite some time. Like, Nicole, I don't know where you fall with the rest of the rivalry week games coming outside of the one that your alma mater is involved in or the ones that you might be covering at the Big Ten. The Iron Bowl to me this year, 
I don't know if it. I haven't watched a ton of Auburn football this year, so I don't know if it's realistic to expect that game to be anything. But we know that one can be weird, and the Cadillac Williams coaching interim story has been arguably my favorite down the back end. Watching yes. him and Cole Kublik talk together after a game, a couple of Auburn alums cutting it up and seeing how much it means to him has been so endearing, and that's a team with absolutely nothing at stake for this season materially at the top end of things. I am so glad you brought that up because I also loved that moment. It was also one of my favorite moments of the season. By the way, we've also had field storms for games that, quote, didn't really matter, um, that have also really warmed my heart. Like South Carolina rushing the field and Shane Beamer's emotional celebration of beating Tennessee. Like, that matters. It doesn't matter. South Carolina had no shot at the SEC championship game. South Carolina had no shot at the playoff. It didn't matter. There there are still stakes. I I mean, I stayed up watching Oregon, um, Oregon, uh, Utah. No real stakes, although, again, like they're still playing to get to the Pac-12 championship game, which, again, some people would say that's not really stakes because they're out of the playoff race. Phenomenal game. Bo Nix on one leg. Just heroic effort. Gutsy performance. Rushing for like on that like fake pitch and then runs for two yards on one leg to ice the game. Incredible. Like that's these are incredible moments. And the Cadillac Williams one was was so cool, which by the way, like a sellout, full stadium. Everyone was so excited for Cadillac Williams to coach his first home game. Then you win. Then like SEC Network just kind of stays there for 10 minutes. Like I just kept the game on, just like watched the Cole interview and then just kind of like following him around, seeing the families and fans and no one leaving the stadium. That team had nothing to play for. They've changed athletic directors. They've changed head coaches. Not much left. And now they've won two games. Red agrees with me. I don't know if you can hear him barking. I can't. Now, <laughs> they win two games. You're right. There's something magical there. I think, you know, again, he's probably not a real candidate at Auburn, but like someone should hire this guy. I mean, it's so clear that the players like love him and connect with him and that the coaching staff and his relationship with them. Like there's just, there's, there's magic. There's something there. One of my favorite moments this season, Tom Allen celebrating a double overtime win over Michigan state after they've had a miserable stretch, miserable losing streak. The joy in those like I, that's what I love about this season. Kansas reaching bowl eligibility, storming the field. Like there have been so many of those, and I feel like we and fans collectively have done a much better job of identifying those instead of just being like we're only talking about playoff teams. But but those moments have just been awesome. And to your broader point, and the question you asked me is like about all these other rivalry games. All of that stuff is still to come. I mean, the fact that the Iron Bowl isn't for a spot in the SEC championship game or playoff spot, it's not going to take away from that. The the Apple Cup, going to be great. Both those teams have played really well at times. Like we've seen a really high ceiling for what those teams can be. The Civil War, uh, uh, actually, maybe it's not called Civil War anymore, but that's yeah. going to be a really fun, really good game. Like there's so many of these that are just always compelling, no matter what the case is. I don't want to say, but I'm going to say just kind of because it's fun to say, throw out the records. Doesn't matter in a rivalry game. But in general, there's just there's there's something weird that's going to happen. There's something fun that's going to happen. I have no ties to the state of Mississippi. Did I watch the fake P live because it was a heated, hated rivalry game that was interesting? Absolutely. So there's always going to be something. I will watch all of them. If you give me any two teams that play in the same state, I will watch that game. 
It, it's so true. It is the sickos committeeification of college football that we've seen happen this year, where I know you have done the article that everyone should go read about the advent of the sickos committee and embracing the whole hog of college football. But it is watching those teams. And I talked to Ryan McGee about this, and I thought it was really interesting. Ryan does the bottom 10 for ESPN.com. And he said this season, watching teams that have been graduates of the bottom 10, teams like UConn and Vandy and all these places that we've seen pull themselves out. Clark Lee crying on the field. A, sa- a very, you know, sad field storming in Stores, Connecticut when they made it, but a field storming nonetheless that they have earned with Jim Mora Jr. in his haunted ass house. Like, all of that stuff has been so cool over the course of this season. It is only going to get more wild coming up this weekend, and we can't wait. Uh, Nicole, before I let you go out of here, the one last thing I wanted to hit with you was as we get closer to December, the Heisman conversation. Is this Caleb Williams versus the field, or is it more competitive than I'm giving it at the credit for at this point? I cannot believe you just missed the opportunity to say back to December. Damn it! Oh! Oh! I've failed Swifties everywhere. It was right there. It oh. was right there for the taking. And I was like, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to, nope. Oh. Nope. Oh, my God. All right, uh, moving you know on from that disappointment. From that disappointment. Um, Caleb Williams is leading the Heisen straw poll, the athletic this week. Now, our straw poll loves to overreact. Very knee-jerk reactionary. <laughs> I think Drake May was winning last week. So it changes. Um, but I think it does It does show how many people watch Caleb Williams probably for the first time this week. Like, I've been watching him and staying up late because I do the top 10. And there's been a lot of Pac-12 teams in, Pac- in top 10 consideration. And especially in the bottom of the top 10. So I'm like, I really got to keep up with, you know, the Washingtons and the Oregons and the UCLAs. So I've watched a lot of Caleb Williams. I've watched a lot of that bad USC defense. Don't let the turnover margin confuse you. Like, this is not a good defense. They they lost by three points and gave it 45 points and had four turnovers. Very hard to do. Uh, Caleb Williams is phenomenal. He is so good. He makes passes that nobody else can make. He's got great weapons, absolutely. But he is he's a really special player. He's going to be in New York. I think we can all say that for sure. I would really like to see Max Duggan in New York. I would like to see Bo Nix get consideration for going to New York, even though they're out of the playoff conversation. CJ Stroud's going to be in New York. Blake Corum could be in New York. But it's great that, like, we always talk about Heisman moments in the stage. And it's great that, like, we saw that in Caleb Williams on that stage. If we want to say the whole game was a Heisman moment, maybe it is when you count for 500 total yards yourself. I don't know if it's his to lose because we're all going to be watching Michigan, Ohio state, and there's candidates on both sides of that game. But he certainly, I think guaranteed himself a ticket to New York. And it's very possible that with these two big games still to come with all the nation watching him, that he does lock it up. I, I think it's very, very possible. And this is also why it's good for the sport to have that regional balance and to have a West coast team that is relevant because look how quickly he became a household name because it's USC because USC is coming back. USC wants to be back. Um, So all of that's really cool. So I don't know if it's his to lose because it still feels like this has been a very wide open year and race for the Heisman. And so I don't want to say that like, it's no longer wide open because it's certainly CJ Stroud could go out and win it or Blake Corum could go out and win it or do something special. But it does feel like he is in the pole position now with two weeks to go, and he's going to have a lot of eyeballs on him in two meaningful games down the stretch, too. 
that Drake May ACC championship game against Clemson to me is going to be fascinating because you want to talk about someone who is almost solely responsible for the success yes. that that team has enjoyed this season. And that has been a LeBron James like effort from Drake May out there. So it is nice to see all that. You're right. We got big time matchups coming up for all that one. I am uh, hoping Caleb Williams doesn't have any more Heisman moments coming up this weekend, but I, I have a strong feeling that he's probably going to go out there and get his um, everyone. Make sure you guys read Nicole over at The Athletic. Check her out on the Big Ten Network, covering all this great stuff coming up on Rivalry Weekend, which I have gotten very good at saying, by the way, and I'm very proud of myself for, even if I missed the Back to December reference. Rivalry? Rivalry Week? Rivalry Week? It's the rivalry? Like, that's the rival? The rivalry into the week always used to trip me up. Rivalry Week? I could see that. Red is barking again. Red Red agrees with me. All he hears on my end, right, because I've got headphones on, is just like rivalry week, rivalry, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's just like barking oh. back at me. He's like, I speak that language too, finally. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's been a long week, and it's a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Nicole. We'll talk to you again soon. Anytime. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. That means as we lurch towards March Madness, you can try and figure out who's going to win this whole thing. On the men's side, teams like UConn, Houston, and Purdue. On the women's side, South Carolina, Stanford, the Lady Irish in Notre Dame, or maybe Caitlin Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes finally get over the hump. Make the decision for yourself and head over and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code GOJO when you do. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get $150 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Brandon. Let's take him on home. You know what time it is? You're damn skippy, Mike. And I've liked a little bit of rock branding, too. So I'm going to stay in that soft-ass area. Well, I soft think I said it because alter, alter, alternate rock is where I'm heading at. Ah. Girls don't like boys. Girls like cars and money. Boys will laugh at girls when they're not funny. And these girls like these boys, like these boys, like these girls. But girls with the bodies like boys with Ferraris. Girls don't like boys, girls, this, that, and the third. Let's go! Good Charlotte is one of those bands that I was listening to around the time and I told the story about when my dad inadvertently introduced me to rap music through Lose Yourself. Good Charlotte, extremely popular with middle school Michael Oak Jr. Uh, I was, uh, that checks out because that came out in two, 2002. <laughs> Girls it and did. boys. 
It, it does check out the height of caucasity. Uh, good Charlotte. As always, download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and a review. Tell Brandon how much you appreciate the work that he is doing creating these opens. Um, Brandon, let's get to this. Uh, and we mentioned our World Cup update. Um, yes. We had uh, on Monday of this week, first match for the U.S. against Wales. Um and just wanted to give everyone some background information. The U.S. ended up playing to a draw in that game, 1-1 with Wales. And so I want to set the stage for a little bit of what you need to know going into the rest of the World Cup. Because this might have been the one that you missed, weren't thinking about right away. Matches have been going on for other countries all hours of the night because they're over in Qatar playing these. So as we get set to play England on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, I want to give you just the beats, the news, and notes of what you need here. All right, our head coach is a man named Greg Berhalter. Our captain is a man named Tyler Adams. We are tied with Ecuador as the second youngest team in the World Cup this year. Uh, Side note, uh, Greg Berhalter was wearing a shirt uh, during there that Nike commissioned that just said states on the front. Awesome. Makes me think of Rob Lowe in the NFL hat. Generic as hell, but also in a way that's hyper swaggy. We'll be ordering. We'll be giving them some of my money here. Um... As far as the game we had on Monday, Tim Weah was our first goal scorer in eight years, now officially a U.S. hero, off the assist from Christian Pulisic, the boy wonder. Weah, mm-hmm. his father was George Weah, was the president of Liberia and the 1995 FIFA World Player of the Year. And so what? now his son has become the 23rd man to score for the U.S. in a World Cup and is the first goal scorer against Wales there since the 17-year-old Pele in 1958. So that's pretty Ooh. cool history for him. Um, Wales was led by a guy named Gareth, not Gary, but Gareth, Gareth Bale, um, who also I think plays for LAFC, which is why the MLS account tweeted out a video supporting Gareth Wales and got roasted into oblivion by us fans that were like, read the room. You're our lead. You're supposed to be helping us out. Um, that one, one tie where that leaves us. So we are in group B group B is comprised of England, the United States, Wales, and Iran and England won their first game against Iran in convincing fashion. They won by six, uh, six to two in that game. So they get three points for a win. You get one point for a tie. You get no points for a loss. And so our group is currently England in first place with three points, the U S and Wales tied with one and Iran in last with zero points. In the group stage, goal differential is something that could potentially matter because we need to be able to get out of group stage, be one of the two teams up top. And so to do that, if there were to be a tie somewhere along the line, goal differential is the first tiebreaker. So the U.S. is going to have to go out here and score a bunch more goals just to make sure we're safe as we go along in this. Everyone plays each other in the group during the course of this group stage of competition. And so that's something that we've got to look forward to. It's one of those weird things where you can end up tying and still moving on, which American sports fans, every time the World Cup or every time the Olympics comes up, have to kind of remember is possible. Mike, that was a amazing breakdown. I feel more educated than I ever have, and I knew uh, a decent amount of that. One thing I do not know is where the hell is Mbappe and how long can U.S. stay away from him? Uh, I'm, that I'm not sure. 
of uh, I got to find way. one of the friends. Ke- Kellen Mbappe. That, I gotta, sorry to ask you the one question yeah. you don't know about this whole that thing. That is, listen, I am limiting our knowledge to the group stage at this point because we have not earned yeah. the right to think about any level of soccer beyond that. So uh, that's Completely what you got to know. Uh, our first match, way too many yellow cards, hating ass referees were on bullshit in that game. Something to keep an eye on going forward, but it was nice to get a goal back in the net. It was nice to see the boys back out on the field doing their thing. So got more of that to look forward to. Everybody get right, get your heads in the game, eat right, do well on Thanksgiving so we can be ready to go out here and do the damn thing against England on Friday. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. Uh, Lane Kiffin, the subject of a lot of news on God's Internet last night as we had a member of the local media around Oxford. I want to get this man's name right here. John Sokoloff who is the WCBI News Sports Director covering Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and high school sports, who tweeted out, Breaking, Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin plans to step down as the Rebels coach Friday and head to Auburn to become the Tigers' next head football coach, according to sources. Sources say the Tigers haven't officially offered the job to anyone yet, so Lane to Auburn is happening story soon. That got denied by Lane Kiffin many times who quote tweeted that and said that's news to me John nice sources Kiffin then tweeted out a piece of paper that he had typed up and tweeted out that said breaking news John Sokoloff of WCBI News in Starkville Mississippi plans to step down as lead anchor and head WLOX to become their new lead anchor sources say WLOX hasn't offered the job to anyone yet so John to WLOX isn't happening is happening story soon college football's chief troll was added again denying this brandon we all knew lane's name was going to be linked to this auburn job you can view this as a sign of things to come you can view this as lane's agent trying to drum up more and you know leverage to go get an extension with old miss or more of what he wants out of old miss I'm sure we'll get to more of what's going to happen, but this is a reminder that you better be very sure when you run with something like this, especially when you run with something like this about a coach that is this active on God's internet. Man, I feel like this guy just got owned and he probably scooped the story. It's going to be very interesting to revisit this because Lane Kiffin was also asked about his job in a formal setting in a press conference and denied this um basically by saying i can get up here and give you guys the old pine box speech about this and then we know how that's worked out in the past so why am i going to spend time denying this that was in a reference to tommy tuberville when he was the head coach there in 98 who said you're gonna have to carry me out of here in a pine box i'm not leaving and then left to take the auburn job two days later so a little bit jarring for old miss fans having to hear that one uh referenced but um yeah listen hey man Lane Kiffin reminds me a lot of the jewel thief that they talk about in the Dark Knight Batman movie. Like trying to understand his motives. Right. Probably yes, a fool. Yes, yes, Some yes, people yes. just want to watch the world burn. Lane Kiffin coaches football the way that I date, afraid of commitment because of what's gone on in his past. I think most, I think honestly, <laughs> most old Miss fans were pretty aware that this wasn't going to be a forever thing potentially and that eventually another program with greater resources or an opportunity because Lane's a competitor would be coming along. Why is Lane in the club making out with all the SEC girls? Like, like, don't he need to just chill somewhere? 
Not when people want to continue to offer him jobs with more resources and opportunities, man. This is a guy that's been to very high mountaintops in his coaching career early in his life and then got humbled very quick, got fired on the tarmac, and has been on that rise back up ever since. And what he's done at Ole Miss has been extraordinary. Last season, the best they've had in school history. This season, managing to remake their roster through the portal in a way that really only USC can lay claim to. So it was wild to watch, but... uh, it is going to be a week on here, like Egg Bowl week, Iron Bowl week, having all of this dropped in the middle of it is just all of the drama that we have come to expect in the world of college football. I am so, so sorry, Oxford, Mississippi. I love you. Okay, can I, real quick before we get off Lane Kiffin, what job will he go back to first? Ooh. Because I, I, I really just – the Tennessee run felt so incomplete. I just feel like he's going to end up being a head coach there again. I don't think there is any world where they would ever take him back. Ever. You think Um, it's the Raiders or something? I mean, the Raiders would be the one that I could talk myself into the most just because, who knows, it has started off very poorly with Josh McDaniels. And so that one timing-wise could work out. If I had to call it, most people have looked and thought that Lane Kiffin would probably wait around to see if the Alabama job opened up, if and when Nick Saban ever decides to finally retire. No, like as the head coach when Nick Saban is done. Yeah. So uh, we'll wait and see on that one. But Lane Kiffin never stopped tweeting through it. By the way, uh, I did a little investigative journalism for everyone because when Lane originally quote tweeted uh, that tweet, he did so with a bunch of weird emojis that came up in it as well. Yes, I saw that. Um, And so this just adds a little bit more to the folklore of this. He tweeted it with the circle with the X through it. The demon, the no. devil horns, purple emoji, a chair, and then a dinner plate. And I had no idea what those emojis meant until I went and looked at his quote tweets from a couple of days ago. He quote tweeted a guy named Louis Giglio, who sounds like he is not a good person based off what I've heard. But he wrote a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And so mm. that is what those emojis end up meaning. It is worth noting that Louis Giglio's favorite football team is the Auburn Tigers. So do with that information what you will. But that is why he tweeted those emojis. That is the thing that he is referencing. And that is who that man is connected to. So, Wow. Damning. Lane Kiffin can't stop trolling even when he's trying to throw us off the scent. Brandon, let's get to the third. Um, the third is a report... Uh, that I saw from Matt Brown last night. And for anyone that uh, has not checked it out, Matt Brown is the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. It is phenomenal. If you are at all interested in the business of college football, Matt, in my opinion, is the best person writing about that currently. He does an outstanding job. Tweeted last night, per multiple sources familiar with the situation, EA is expected to announce this morning. So if you're listening to this podcast, it was supposed to happen at 10 a.m. Eastern. It may have already happened. That EA Sports College Football will now be delayed until 2024 with more details to come tomorrow. Uh, Brandon? Those motherfuckers! I know. The timeline's going to be in shambles. This was the one I thought was going to finally bring me back to having a video game console. So it looks like I have to put that off until 2024. You know, actually, that actually times up pretty well for me. I think I think I shouldn't be really playing video games until... My oldest is around five, and I think that that time's up. Like, I was going to wait for you to play it anyways. Now I got to wait even longer. Yeah, it's – you know what? I 
I was looking forward to getting back in the lab on that. We played video games a lot more when we were in college. I was a big Madden mini games guy. NCAA was fun when we got to go and look and see ourselves in it. And so I want that joy for players in current college programs to be able to go and look in the game and find out that some of them have had you know the wrong race attributed to their skin color in that game versus what they are in real life. The or wrong, wrong hometown. hometown. Yeah, thank you. All that. And of course, like the ever present conversation about your rating and getting clowned for being in the 70s. What's up? Sure. How you doing? Mm-hmm. All those great things. <laughs> so I want that for a new generation of players. I want to be able to go out here and play Tuesday night Mac games with the team oh, of my man. choice. Maybe, you know, your alma mater in Ball State so I can play with Tyler Stockton as my D coordinator. Maybe we'll get a little Chuck Martin action over at Miami of Ohio. I haven't decided which program I want to run into greatness. I just wish that we would give you a, uh, an ability to do it corrupt. Like... Ooh. Yeah, like some... Like with, like with bag men. Yeah, I was going to say some sort of juice per position, per team. Like maybe like a, a bag man per year per position, right? Just so you have that one edge, not literally an edge player, but like that one edge player for your team, like the college like, football. It'd just be great. Like you could do that in the first person mode where you have to go and you have to be the loosely connected booster or part of an NIL collective that helps do this. Or you can go back and do it pre-NIL where you've got to just do it in brown paper bags like the good old days. Okay, I am a little bit nervous about the whole franchise mode things for that, though, because I don't know. I may have told you this story, but it's definitely new to the podcast. Back in the day when Madden, or when NCAA was out, I came back home to Louisville, Kentucky, went to Buffalo Wild Wings, then called BW3s. And some guy, because I was, I was like known at that point in time, some guy like came up to me and was like, hey, you Brandon Newman? I was like, yeah. He's like, you still at Notre Dame? I was like, yeah. He was like, I did a franchise mode with y'all, and you got drafted third round, so I'm just saying, keep it up. <laughs> okay, thank you. Damn. As, as I was waiting for my food. Then I was only eating Buffalo uh, boneless wings, Mike. It was a long time ago. But, yeah, I was, I was waiting for my food. And he's just like, you know what? Keep it up. So I had that little inspiration. <laughs> so third third round, I do love that he presented that to you. Because I guess third round is a good enough grade to where you'd be excited about that. Because I wonder right, what right. round you would have gotten drafted in where he'd have been like, hey, you know, like we took a flyer. Like someone took a flyer on you in the sixth round. You might want to step right. it up. Like maybe hit the weights a few more times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I couldn't get your strength above a 54. I'm only saying that because that's something I remember, and it was bullshit because I was one of the strongest people on the team. <sighs> couldn't believe it. I The thing I always remember most from those games was when guys would have an awareness rating that was in, like, the 20s or 30s. And yes. you'd be like, I'm confused. Do I forget my helmet when I go out to the field? Yes. Am I routinely wearing the same side shoe on both feet? How do you couch this? Yes, how, how am I a wide receiver with an awareness of 22? I, again, I want this joy for the next generation. So we'll see uh, if Matt's reporting on that. I'd imagine is pretty accurate. He is incredibly well sourced. Um, and we will wait and see if that same thing can be said for that man that works at the news organization that's talking here about Lane Kiffin. We hope we have shed, shed some light on these processes here on this podcast. If you agree, download, subscribe, rate, review, go Joe, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell us how much you enjoyed all that. And also check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Uh, it is the DraftKings YouTube channel that you can subscribe to and then go and check in the Gojo with Michael Jr. playlist and watch all of our videos like Brandon appears to be doing now. 
I was just miming it, but I was like, it may be helpful to actually have a video of ours up, but you can continue to close the podcast. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.